So one of the only ways that you can really limit kids' technology use in, in, in a meaningful way, where it's not just you're taking something away from them, is, mm-hmm. is to replace it. Um, okay. And that means parents spending more time with their kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means taking your kids to the park, going out, throwing the ball around, going to the mall together, doing things that it, it's hard, uh, you know, if you have two working parents and uh, a busy lifestyle. But really, it requires that level of engagement of supporting your kids' interests, um, you know, uh, whether it's uh, piano lessons or gymnastics or sports activities or right. whatever it might be, you really you need to invest in that at a higher level than you might uh, you might have otherwise. Welcome back to another episode of Raising the Jews Next Door. You've clicked on this because you may have seen the word technology and you're wondering, wow, you know, how can I be a better parent on this in this topic of technology? It's it's really it's a it's a real challenge. It's something that our children are dealing with on an every single day basis. You know, maybe more constant than we than we hope. And it's really important for us to be able to help them to understand what does it mean to be digitally safe. And Dr. Eli Shapiro, who is the creator and founder of the Digital Citizenship Program and the project. He's the go-to person. He speaks at schools. He speaks around the country about this. And there's no one better to talk to, to learn from, as to how we can help guide our children in this area. And it's so relevant. It's really, really relevant. And I, I hope that you will gain as much as I did from this conversation. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. Okay, it is such an such an absolute pleasure to be sitting with the, the go-to, the expert on technology, Jewish families, Dr. Eli Shapiro, who is, you know, is an expert on social and emotional functioning in terms of families in their homes and is the go-to person for technology and education and families and, and all of that. So thank you so much. It's really, really a pleasure to sit down with you today to talk about, you know, parents and how parents can, you know, specifically ch- child safety, but specifically in the, in the digital world that we are living in, it's, uh, you know, digital safety is so relevant nowadays and, uh, every single teen or child has like the whole entire world in their, in their pocket or on and their a, iPad. An adult. Yeah. An adult. That's yeah. true. And, uh, and, and the ages keep getting like earlier and earlier. Yeah. So, uh, let's, let's dive right in. Number one, I guess I'm curious, like, just tell us a little bit about yourself, about your work and, you know, how you got started on all of this. So, um, first of all, thank you for the kind words, uh, maybe a little bit of hyperbole there, but, uh, I'll, I'll take it for now. <laughs> but, uh, I, I got started. I'm a, I'm a clinical social worker, school social worker, my doctorate's in education. And I was always focused on the social emotional literacy and functioning of kids, the affective domain of education. Hmm. And in, in my early years, I was looking at, uh, peer relations, bullying, school-based bullying, promoting positive peer relations. Uh, and in, you know, I would say 2007, 2008, when I started working on my dissertation for my doctorate, um, I, I shifted that over into the digital realm. We were hearing about cyberbullying, some of the earliest. Uh, this is like uh, in the early, like as it was just yeah, getting started. Yeah, really, um, it was, uh, um, there was an incident with a student from Rutgers University who had committed uh-huh. suicide in, I think it was about 2007. Um, and it was a result of cyberbullying. And this is when we were first starting to hear about technology's impact in that realm. And so it was sort of a natural progression to go from traditional school-based bullying to 
uh, the digital realm, cyberbullying, and that was what my research was on um, for my for my uh, dissertation. But what I was finding really at that time was that the relationship that individuals had with technology, it was so much more than just the content of the internet or aggressive behavior, but it was our relationship with technology, mm-hmm. uh, um, the psychological impact and, and told that it takes the social impact, the behavioral impact. Wow. Um, it's such and, a, like a yeah. unique approach towards it. Cause like, I feel like everyone just like uses technology, but it doesn't think about, you know, at, at least especially in the beginning, like they weren't thinking about it that way. Yeah. And I, I you know, it's interesting when you, when you, uh, I think the, some of the earliest Steve Jobs presentations on the iPhone when it when it came out in, in 2007. Uh, the whole idea was that we would have this portable computer that would make things so much more efficient mm-hmm. that we would have time for the important things. <laughs> I mean, that was the idea. You know, that was, yeah. And so, um, you know, I started looking at that and in our community specifically, the extent of the conversation, the, the dialogue was about, you know, the, the content of the internet and how mm-hmm. problematic it was. Right. And the solution was filters. You know, it was the beginning and end of the conversation. And so um, I really just wanted to elevate the conversation. You know, at the time I I was getting asked to do um, internet safety speeches because people knew that I was, you know, talking about cyberbullying. You were the go-to? You're the go-to guy? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, um, I guess. Uh, (laughs) I really wanted to talk about the other aspects of technology, not just Mm -hmm. the content, but like how is it impacting us emotionally and behaviorally? Uh, Impulsivity, disinhibition, compulsivity miscommunication, desensitization, all these things were parts of it. And so and that's um, where digital citizenship. Yeah. So that's, that's really cool. where it, it evolved from that. I, I was really challenged by um, some colleagues in the field to say, Hey, you know, you keep saying that we have to have a more sophisticated conversation about this. So do it, right. you know, so develop <laughs> something. So make something happen. Cool. Um, and so that's, that, that was really where the early beginnings, uh, you know, were in, in really school-based, social emotional functioning, the affective domain of education, which was always my area of interest, mm-hmm. as opposed to the academic and cognitive. And they're definitely, you know, interrelated. Sure, but sure. um, you know, growing up in Yeshiva in the eighties, you know, there was very little no one cared how you felt. You know, that wasn't really it's anyone's true. concern. It's a very big yeah. difference in our generation. So it's, it's totally shifted. The, uh, the school social work wasn't a concept. You right. know, and so that there was, was a school nurse and that yeah. was like that was it. <laughs> so we we uh you and know, I was like, oh, you have a stomachache? Oh, here's a bandit, right? Like that yeah. was like the classic thing. It wasn't like, oh, like you're, you're feeling something. Or, right? Yeah. So there, there were no feelings in the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> so, but we now understand that, you know, academic performance and cognitive uh, functioning all relate to how, how you're feeling. Sure. So that was really my focus. And it just, it sort of evolved as society evolves um, into the digital piece, but it was never my, my goal or I didn't have a natural drive towards technology. It, it. it wasn't cool. it. Cool. It just sort of... Uh, Played out that way. What it, what is your methodology in terms of the the digital citizenship? So digital citizenship is is to promote digital responsibility in the age of technology, and mm-hmm. so digital responsibility for oneself for others. And um, we took an approach. Uh, my colleague and I, uh, Tamima Feldman, who was uh, instrumental in developing the curricular piece of this, uh, but we took a, a, a like a three prong approach where we wanted to educate parents. We wanted to educate school faculty and we wanted to educate kids. Um, And so we took that three prong approach uh, and developed materials and programming, um, all research based and data driven um, to to that effect. And and, um, we wrote a curriculum Um, right now. It has 10 chapters that started with, I think, 
seven or eight and mm. you know we we've built on it nice. um, but different areas where um, kids need to have the language and the self-awareness of how technology uh, is impacting them so they can make better decisions right. giving them right. the language giving them the awareness um, to make better decisions around technology um, of course you need parental support and control and there's a balance depending on the age um, you know we sort of look at early elementary school early childhood is predominantly on the parents Middle school is a good balance where mm -hmm. kids have enough self-awareness and some degree of self-regulation, but still the parental component is critical. Sure. Um, once they get into high school, it's really on the kids themselves. The parents have a, a lot less influence in the day-to-day -day operation of kids and technology. They can be restrictive. Right, and, but and, only, you know, only to so much of an extent. Yeah, to so much of an extent. And we really designed the curriculum where kids could say, oh, you know, I, I'm feeling impulsive now or, or disinhibited as a result. And uh -huh. so by giving them that language, they can now be self-aware and then make better decisions around. Technology. So what, what would you say is the, is the main focus of what you're trying to accomplish? I guess let's start with parents. With parents, like what's your main goal there? So, you know, it's interesting because I think the goal has shifted over time. When we first started in, uh, in 2014, I would say. Yeah, 2014 is when the Digital Citizenship Project launched. I mean, I've been doing some work uh, in the uh, lecturing area around it, but that when we really formally launched the curriculum, our goal was to create awareness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, go back to 2014. 2012 was the big Asifa in City Field. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, <laughs> and really that was the dialogue. And so the first goal that we had was to break through that it's, it's yes, filters are important, and yes, the content of the internet is problematic. But it's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first step in educating, you know, that there's there's a whole realm that we're not addressing. So just creating that awareness. So I, I, one of my first articles that I wrote uh, was published in the Jewish press. It was uh, sort of um, making the case for digital citizenship. Uh -huh. um, you know, now we sort of take it for granted. You know, every day there's another study coming out of anxiety and, mm -hmm. and <laughs> sure. our smartphones and social media and depression. Um, so but that didn't exist. In, in 2014, 2013. Right, right, right. Um, so that was our, really our first mission was just to get that awareness out. Uh, so there was, uh, you know, um, lectures, community articles. Um, and th then over time, as that awareness, I actually thought, by the way, um, I'm looking back, it's, it's kind of silly, but I thought I'd be speaking about technology three, four years and then like everyone a, would understand. Really, that's funny. And then I, you know, I'd have to find something else to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I just really kept you pretty busy. I was yeah. <laughs> I know, I, but I really, I, I thought, you know, all right, well, I can do this for three or four years. Once everybody knows that technology has issues beyond the content, my job here will be done. And, right. You know, right. Well. Right. Um, so it's definitely, so it's constantly like yeah, evolving. Well, as technology is just, right. evolving, you know, so do the, the need for, um, you know, uh, reinforcement reminders and the latest research and the latest challenges sure, and, sure. Um, and the role that technology plays. But one of the, one of the pieces that we were always focused on was that we wanted the content of what we were talking about to be fundamental to the human experience. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, we're what do you gonna, mean by that? So it, it wasn't going to be like, we're going to talk about musically, uh -huh. you know, musically is such right, a like not challenge. talking about TikTok, or, right. or Snapchat, whatever. It's just we're, more, more correct. global concepts that need the to be. human experience with technology. So whether Got it's it. TikTok or Snapchat or, uh, you know, uh, grand theft auto or Netflix or whatever <laughs> the next, you know, thing might be, the concepts we want to teach 
will apply to that as well. Sure. Um, so that was also, uh, you know, very much a part of the focus in developing content. And so there's definitely been a shift where we have to sell the concept a lot less today. It's it's at this point. Yeah, no, no, it's everybody knows. <laughs> everyone sees it. Everyone knows it. It's it's clear. So now we're more in, engaged. I think creating content that school communities and communities in general that will work best for that community because uh, there's so much variation and diversity right, right, within right. the Jewish Orthodox and even outside the Orthodox and even outside the Jewish community right, uh, right. where, where technology is, you know, it, it, in, in some communities you want to talk about uh, posting positive on social media, that's just not going to fly. Right, right. Um, so, you know, really identifying what the norms are and the mm -hmm. norms differ from community to community in the definition of digital citizenship, it, the, the, you know, is understanding that there are different norms. So it's the norms of appropriate and responsible behavior when it comes to technology. So what is normal, what is appropriate, right. what is responsible will differ from community to community. Right. We also find that it differs from age are to age. Are there any objectives that you would say or or really it's totally subjective to each community? Let me let me start by saying I genuinely believe all of us would be better off socially, psychologically, behaviorally, spiritually without any technology. Wow. Like we just, we would all be better off. Yeah. Here. Um, with that said, that's not a realistic existence uh, in today's modern world. Sure. It, our, our job is to function the best we can in the world that we live in. And right, that right. changes generationally. And the generations seem to be getting quicker and quicker as <laughs> technology advances quicker and quicker. But starting from a fundamental idea that we'd all be better off emotionally healthier uh, without it. With that said, we need to find balance. And in certain communities, if you can live without internet in your house and that works for you, I think you're you're you have the opportunity to be a I don't want to say better developed, but <laughs> it's it's the opportunity for a healthier, less distracted lifestyle exists. Mm -hmm. So if if that can be done, great. You know, there are people today that are switching from smartphones. Uh, back to dumb phones. I know it's like funny now. It's like it's like a trend in a way. It's definitely a trend. And if you can do it, that's great. You know, that's that's great. There's going to be sacrifices though. You, sure. you you have to recognize you're sacrificing some of the conveniences that smartphones bring for sure. lower levels of anxiety or you know a less distracted lifestyle, more engaged with family and friends. So it's it's always going to be that push and pull. So really looking at any individual community within that community's norms, within their expectations. Mm -hmm. We want to help communities, school communities, figure out how they can maximize what technologies offer them and minimize the inherent challenges. So it. it really does differ from community to community. I don't think there are any hard and fast rules about technology. Sure. Um, but it really, I, I think what we really try to promote is the idea of being thoughtful and deliberative with how you use technology with, uh, so for example, I, I do not have a Apple watch. Good for you. Yeah. So, and that's by choice. I do recognize that there are, are a whole host of, um, conveniences that would come along with it, sure. but there would be a whole host of distractions as well. Sure. So I've made a conscious decision that I'm not getting an Apple watch. Now I'm placing no judgment on people that do get Apple right. watches. Right. It, they've incorporated it into their life and that works for them. Great. For me, it would serve as a distraction. My oldest daughter does not have a smartphone. She's 23 and she doesn't have a smartphone. She used to have a smartphone, but right. she made the decision. Like I made a decision about an Apple watch. She made a decision about a smartphone wow. that she's going to, you know, 
deal with some of the inconveniences. If you're looking for a great way to have some good, clean, kosher fun with your children through the powerful effect of music, look no further because Jay Karaoke is here. Jay Karaoke gives one and all the platform to belt out their favorite tunes from a library of thousands of Jewish songs, hundreds of artists, and genres across multiple decades of incredible Jewish music. Personally, I know that I love singing. I love it. I love karaoke, but I was really never able to get into it because it wasn't the Jewish songs. And that's where Jay Karaoke comes in with their huge selection from the latest hits to the classics. They even have nursery rhymes for your little ones. And with features like key changes to help you sing, to make you more comfortable as you're singing, and speeding it up or slowing down the song, they have really thought of everything. To enjoy Jewish karaoke your way, all you need to do is head to jkaraoke.com. Choose a subscription that fits for you. And to make it even more fun, you could purchase their state-of-art karaoke kit, which gives you the feeling as if you are today's top singer. You can insert whoever you feel it is. Connect your kit to any device, like it could be a laptop, a computer, a tablet, whatever it is. And you plug in your speaker, plug in your J karaoke microphone, and you sing away. It's as easy as that. That's all it is. And it's really fun. I checked out their website. Really looks amazing. They have an incredible, incredible amount of song selection. Anything you want. They got Thank You Hashem. They got Mordechai Shapiro. They really got it all. You can subscribe monthly for just $4.99 a month, yearly for $49.99. And we have a special deal here for you. For any of our listeners, if you use the code JewsNextDoor, D-O-R, you get an additional 10% off. And if you don't want your children to be using a device with internet, J Karaoke has got you covered. You can download the app onto your desktop. Once you have it up, turn off the internet. Let them sing all day long without the internet. Check out J Karaoke today and let the fun begin. How did she come to that? Like, how did she come to that decision? I think that uh, spending a year in Israel in seminary, um, giving the opportunity to spend less time with a smartphone and then ultimately make the decision to, to wow. not have one um, is how she came. Is it something that you spoke a lot about, like in the house growing up, like as you're raising them? You know, I, I mean, we did. We we were never discouraging of technology. Right. You know, one of the one of the things you know I think people misunderstand. I'm not anti-technology. Yeah, I think yeah. Technology is awesome. It's amazing. We're, we're doing this now. It's going to get proliferated. You know, totally. uh, throughout the world, like, the technology is fantastic. COVID. You know, we we definitely had an excessive engagement with technology. But what would COVID have been like if we, if we didn't, didn't have? Right? <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's a good what point. <laughs> would that have looked like? That would have been a real disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, we were never discouraging. We were always promoting thoughtful and deliberative practices with it. Hmm. Um, I, I remember um, when my one of my daughters was in 10th grade, they were doing a birthday party for someone in my house. And her friends came over, and um, <clears throat> they all had phones. And as they came in, they took their phones and they put it on the desk, uh, on the table where we keep our keys next mm. to the door. They all put their phones down. I don't have a rule. Instinctively. Yeah. They just did it. Yeah. Wow. I don't have a rule in my house, no phones during social yeah. events. I mean, people do. And sure. that's great too. But I happen not to. And um, they did pick up the phones when it came time. They wanted, they were baking, they took pictures, they, and then they put the phones back. At some point, they were educated in school or, you know, in their homes that you're going to connect with your friends in a more meaningful, quality way by not being distracted on your devices. And they wanted that experience, but someone had to teach them that. Yeah. And yeah. really, that's what our goal is. Our goal is to teach. There's a time for technology. There's a time not for technology. But sure. just be thoughtful and deliberative about it. Who's, whose job is that to teach them that? Is that, is that a parent's job? Is that a, is that a school's job? Or who would you think? 
So that's 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 a, a really good question. Just the simple answer is, you know, the role is is parental. You right. know, parents are the are the biggest influence. The research is consistently mm-hmm. supportive of that. Parents are the number one influence on what kids think is appropriate and not appropriate with technology and with other things. Just parents. It doesn't mean that there aren't competing influences, but parents are consistently the most significant influence. So that that's important piece. But it's also interesting, and I think this is more a societal shift in general. The shift of schools being not just buildings of education for kids, but being the family um, educational model. I I think there was more of it in shuls back Mm -hmm. in the day, in the traditional communal shuls. The shtivals and like like a, right. But there's definitely been a shift. And I think it it follows with that shift to the understanding of the affective domain of education. Right. So I, I think that shift as well. So now, uh, you know, schools have taken on a degree of responsibility towards educating parents. Some schools have mandatory education. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, that's a, a relatively new concept. Right. If I put on my social work hat for a minute, I think it goes back to systems theory where the schools recognize that there are multiple systems. And if they want to most effectively educate students, they need to support right. the systems that a student is uh, experiencing as well. Sure. So sure. whose responsibility is it? Definitely parental roles. It's a partnership. You know, schools often talk about, you know, we're partners and hopefully (laughs) they're actually, you know, doing it. It really is a partnership. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. It's interesting. What you just said got me thinking about how it's so important for a parent to be mindful of, you know, when, when let's say you're, you're sitting with your child and let's say like watching a video together, like just to show them like a video on YouTube, like that's sending a message in a way that, oh, we're spending meaningful time right now, but it's with a device. Like, and maybe, maybe, maybe that's something that really shouldn't be happening. Not saying that you can never watch a video with your child, but like, it's just an interesting thing to be mindful of. It's just, it just hit me now as you were saying that really just like an interesting thing. So I I get very nervous when I hear categorical statements about anything, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, the internet is awful or the internet is I'm not saying that the internet's bad or that device usage is bad, but it's just like that having that as a part of the, you know, the home dynamic, not always. But so everything is a balance, and that really is similarly when you when you talk about school school culture to school culture being different or community to community, each home is different. Right, and right. so there are homes where technology is a is a feature within the home. So some families have a family movie night, right, or you know that technology is something that is used. The most important piece is to demonstrate that there's a time for technology, mm. and then there's a time for not technology. Right, right, right. right. Um, and so point. you know it it's okay to play a video game, you know, assuming the content is fine. There's, right. there's actually a lot of research on video game play that kids who game do excel in certain areas. Right. In, in, especially if like they're interacting with people on the yeah. video. Well, there's collaborative problem right. solving right. and right. visual motor integration and um, drowning out external noise and multitasking. There are all these skills that, but then there's like a tipping point of like where do you get the benefit and then where is it? <laughs> it's like too much. Is too, where, what's, what's the point of diminished returns? Right, right, right. So I, I generally, I say that, uh, you know, if you're 35 and living in your parents' basement playing Fortnite all day, <laughs> you're probably past the point of benefit. Yeah, but to yeah. your point, there's a qualitative difference of a child playing video games by themselves or playing a video game with a parent. Mm-hmm. you're elevating the video game play. Now, right. if you're playing a video game with your parent, you know, for eight hours a day, that's also problematic. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, if, you're, if your child likes sports games um, and you're going to, you know, play, you know, Madden NFL or something. So that's, that's it's not the, 
the technology is the medium, but it's really the interaction. Right. That right. shouldn't be your only interaction. You should be actually going sure. out, tossing the football around <laughs> also, but really finding that balance. Um, and the only way to find that balance is to be thoughtful and deliberative mm -hmm. uh, with your technology sure. practices. Sure. Um, if you're, if your child uh, follows people on YouTube, it's like, know who they are. It's not just that they're on and talk about it. Um, when my son was younger, he was into uh, something called Dude Perfect. Mm, I love them. Okay. So, love their yeah, stuff. <laughs> so he introduced me to Dude Perfect. Um, I, I, to me, it didn't hold that much interest. <laughs> but for him to share that with me and for us to watch some videos together, and uh, you a know, bonding that's a bonding experience. Right, right. That's showing interest in your children's. Uh, interest as well. Totally, so, you totally. know, finding those opportunities is is elevating the technology. Sure, sure. And again, everything is a balance. So, so getting a little more into child safety in terms of, you know, digital child safety, what, 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 like what's your, what would you be your definition of digital safety? You know, it's such a broad uh, term, digital safety. Um, you know, generally when people think about digital safety, they're thinking about the content. They're mm -hmm. thinking about individuals trying to get information from you, mm -hmm. phishing scams. Right. Um, you know, so those are, are definitely pieces of it. So having the right filter, uh, will, will prevent kids from getting on sites that will be problematic. Mm -hmm. But, um, well, there's also like internet predators and, you know, yeah. So, you know, I, I get beat up every time I talk about it. So I'm, I'm going to say it again. It's an issue, but I almost never run into it. Uh -huh. In other words, it's an issue. Like other things are an issue. Um, but if, if a child understands impulsivity and they understand mm -hmm. disinhibition, they're going to make better decisions on how they communicate online. Interesting. So it's not just don't talk to strangers, don't share information with strangers. Yeah, it's important to understand that. Got it. But so you're saying parents, that, like a parent's job in terms of digital safety would be helping them to realize, you know, what, you know, like you said, impulsivity and like what, what their actions, you know, how, how grave they're, not how grave, but how big their actions can be and how important, like. The effects of their actions. So I see a lot more than than hearing stories about or interacting with parents where a predator was a situation. More so, it's a child will share, you know, content that's inappropriate, uh -huh. and you know, it's not, and then they get in trouble for for that, or mm -hmm. you know, if someone then, um, you know, gets shared around or, or, or the content issues in that sure. sense, um. And that really goes back to that impulsivity and disinhibition piece. It. It's become, you know, more normalized. Um, so to me, safety isn't limited to just, you know, putting the filter on. And by the way, um, without naming specific websites, there are plenty of Jewish news and content websites where the, the content is extremely problematic. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, how many dash cam accent videos do you need to see? Or, you know, uh, uh, Someone, uh, you know, Colo family uh, stabbed on CCTV in Lakewood. Like you right. see these videos, that's very disturbing content, and a sure. filter is not going to help that. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, aside from the fact when we talk about, you know, being exposed consistently, bombarded with negativity, mm -hmm. um, that impacts your emotional well-being. So to me, all of that falls into the safety realm. Mm -hmm. um, Go on any, um, on most, I shouldn't say any, most Jewish news websites and, and just randomly select articles and just see how many are positive and how many are negative. Right. Well, generally the news is. <laughs> generally the news is negative. So, right. so the question is when you talk about safety, is it just specific targeted content, the schmutz that we're worried about, mm -hmm. or is it the schmutz that's even available. Right. Like, well, that's why I'm asking, what yeah. is your definition? So my I mean, like, you, you, yeah. you can go as broad, you can, you can get broad and then yeah. you can get more specific, you know, but what, what would you say is like your, 
So to me, digital safety is giving kids the tools to make good decisions around technology. Okay. So what are those tools? It's the education, it's the language, it's the self-awareness, it's uh, uh, parental modeling, mm-hmm. um, it's an open dialogue of communication, it's uh, creating a safe environment to talk about some of the challenges that inevitably they're they're going to you know have to face. So what? Let, let take me through some of those. Like you start off with education, the language. Like what? What does that? What does that mean? Educating them that what? I, I know obviously, like you're saying, the impulsivity. What else? What other components come into play here? So. Um, it's, it's a self-awareness of, it's creating an environment where you can have uh, a conversation self-awareness of your specific relationship with technology. How is technology impacting your functioning? Mm -hmm. So a parent should be, a parent knows, um, some of their kids are much more tethered to technology and much more, um, dependent on technology than other kids. Right. Um, so why is that? What's, what's happening? Why is you know, child A's relationship different than child B's. It's understanding that child mm-hmm. and helping that child understand themselves. You're saying like the inner workings, there's yeah. something going on that, that's, that's attracting them or yeah. attaching them to it more. We definitely know that kids with, uh, with anxiety or depression are more likely to develop unhealthy relationships with technology. Got it, got it. So in terms of, it's like what could parents do in that situation with, you know, to help children? So I, you know, I think that, um, that uh, there are three real keys that parents need to be aware of in managing their children's technology. So the first thing is they have to know the device that they're giving to their children. So all too often, you know, I hear from parents, oh, I, I gave them an iPhone and I, I didn't know that you could do A, B or C on it, or I didn't know they could download apps mm-hmm. or I didn't know, you know, I, I didn't know. Um, or if it's on an iPhone, it's something else, you know, I, you, you know, you have a first grader getting an Amazon Kindle, you know, it's cute. It's a Hanukkah present right, for right, $39. Right. It's amazing, you know, um, and they don't know the device. So the first thing is parents really need to understand. You can't give your kids a device without knowing the device, how to operate the device, how to manage the device. Sure. Um, if you, if you don't know, you know, go on YouTube and type mm-hmm. how to, you know, parentally set. So that's one of the first things that we can do. The second thing is parents need to know the content that they're making available to their children. So I can't tell you how often I hear from, you know, the parents of a eight, nine or 10 year old saying, well, you know, I got them Instagram or I got them TikTok and, and uh, it's become a problem. (laughs) But if you go in the app store and look up, you know, Instagram or TikTok, it'll say 12 plus. Right. So, and if you even take like one scroll through, right, you'll see that, that there's a lot I, of, but even that, you even know, without we'll, that. we'll get to, you know, the, like that, that's next level, but right. like just on a basic, not even, not even uh, TikTok or Snapchat thinks that your 10 year old should be on TikTok or Snapchat. Right. They don't the even, <laughs> they don't think that. Um, then if you read the descriptions of like why they don't think that, and you'll see, what they're saying about it, I don't think you would want your 15-year-old on it either, but that's right. that's a separate point. So, yeah, certainly being familiar with the content um, and what you're making available to them, even from a gaming standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, video games are, you know, are we looking at the content um, that might be problematic? Or, you know, if you, a game like Grand Theft Auto um, is extremely violent. <laughs> Um, it's extremely violent and graphic and, and, and even more than just that, there's yeah. like, there's a lot of stuff going on. In that game. So the, right. So the, even the, the behavior is, you know, it's bad me but you know, aside <laughs> from that, you know, it's just, it, 
you're, but, but it's a game, they're playing it, but it, it's problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's understanding the devices, it's understanding the content. A lot of parents don't realize that you can set a device that the kids can't download from the app store. They right. need to come to you. So really educating and yourself. And you can set how much time they use yeah, it there's and a lot when of, it shuts off. And yeah. All, you know, yeah. There's a lot of things. I also recommend, you know, when it comes to content, there's a great website called um, um, Common Sense Media. Common Sense Media, look right, up any right. game, any app, they will explain to you what it is, you know, where the parent reviews, kid reviews, uh, professional reviews. There's no reason that parents should be uneducated in the devices and in the content. Right. The third the third thing um, is really um, know your kid, know your child, because every child is going to respond and react differently. Sure. Um, That's a good point. You know, kids, some kids are highly sensitive. Right. Uh, right. Some kids are less sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, Why does that come into play here? I mean, obviously, I know it does, because, but I'm saying from your. Well, just because from a content standpoint, because even if if you're looking at the device, knowing knowing the 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 regular content that may be regular news content that might be not a big deal for some one person uh-huh. can be extremely distressing for another person. Interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, yeah. what's going on in Ukraine might be very distressing for some kids right. depending on their, you know, predispositions. Do they have higher levels of anxiety or social anxiety or depression? All of those are going to influence how they respond mm-hmm. to the devices and the content on those devices. Kids with anxiety, um, particularly social anxiety are highly likely to develop a dependence on social media and social networking. Um, and, and communicating, um, through the digital realm. One of the things we mentioned before was, uh, uh, online disinhibition. Mm -hmm. So online disinhibition is really the removal of any anxiety that one might experience in a face-to-face conversation. So So people say that, like, I mean, I I remember when I was growing up, people would say like the craziest things on like instant messenger. I know it's like really long time ago, but like chat rooms, everything, they would say the crazy things that they would never, ever dream of saying ever. So, um, a psychologist in 2004, a guy named John Suller identified this. He calls it the online disinhibition effect. Mm -hmm. And it's been like the research has been replicated. The Pew studies, if you look at, um, the qualitative sections of the Pew studies, kids are saying, oh yeah, my friend would never use language like that or say things like that in person, but online it's, you know, I feel like, I wonder if that's changed a little bit now because now with like screenshots and, you know, screen capturing like the screen, which is more prevalent. I feel like it didn't exist back like when I was growing up that now people, anything that you say could so easily, I mean, probably existed, but maybe we just didn't do it or didn't know how to do it. But now that it's so prevalent, anyone, you know, anything at all can be screenshot and just like that. So even with that, Still, people are still because uh-huh. online disinhibition is an emotional response, uh-huh. and you're describing a cognitive thought. So, when you and, we know that impulsivity and disinhibition go hand in hand sure. with technology. Sure. So, again, if you're more disciplined and you have more awareness and you've been educated, you'll probably do it less. But even today, um, you know, it, a lot of people. I don't want to have a difficult conversation with someone, so I'll just I'll just text them. I'm not hiring them for this job. I'm just. Right. I'll just send them an email. Sure. You know, why? Because you're less inhibited. It's yeah. easier. Um, you know, look at, at the text, you know, the yeah, <laughs> it's much easier to do that. So that experience is online disinhibition. But now what happens if you have social anxiety and you're, you're uncomfortable in social situations, mm-hmm. you, you just feel that discomfort, but now I can communicate in the digital realm and I don't feel that discomfort. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to become pretty dependent on that. Yeah, so it, that's what you're saying. Know, know your child, which know, child. Yeah, you know, certain what, children are going to develop unhealthy habits um, and are more likely to. But even the well-adjusted children and the ones without uh, you know, uh, uh, any 
we're, we, all, we all have some mental you know, health issues, but like even w- with minimal, they're still more likely the more time you spend on devices, the more technology you use, your anxiety gets elevated and your mood is impacted. Right. But it's so important to be aware of that. You know, I, I always give the example um, just from a connectivity standpoint, that social piece of it. When do we connect best with our children, with our spouses, with our friends? It's Shabbos. Shabbos, of course. Right. Why is that? What's different about Shabbos? You know, and the answer is we just, we don't have the distractions. We totally don't, unplugged. Yeah. And it's such a gift that we have. It's amazing. And um, I mean, now it's like, I like there's people who now will do it. Like we'll take like a 24 hours of just yeah. like non-Jewish celebrities. Right? You hear them going on social media. Yeah. In fact, um, I forget the guy's name. Um, he runs the digital wellness center in Boston Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget his name. Um, he, and he recommends a digital Shabbat. Uh, for everybody, right. you know, that everyone yeah. should take time off. Um, so it, it, it's real. And, you know, uh, uh, David Pelkovitz did a study in 2012 where he found that about 18% of otherwise Shomer Shabbos teens were still using social networking and texting on Shabbos. Yeah. Um, it, it became known as the half Shabbos study. Sure, sure. Um, but why is that? There were in those kids, they found elevated levels of anxiety and totally. And that. So that's, that's really, and then COVID even, yeah. blew, I mean, I, I remember one of my students telling me last year that the reason he can't, he has such a hard time keeping Shabbos, especially more so after COVID was because he just feels so alone and feels like he's so, he, it makes him feel like he's back in COVID. It gives yeah. him those feelings of isolation that he had so it's like he feels like he just needs to like text his friends and keep in touch with them because it just so most of the of the kids that were texting on Shabbos, it's not that they have an objection to Shabbos. It's right. not like there's they have right. theological right. questions sure. about yeah, you know exactly. you know uh, it's really just too difficult to not connect right um, and and that is you know you know if someone finds that their ch- child is texting on Shabbos, it's not a religious issue. Right. I mean, in some cases it might be, right, but right, right. Um, it's generally, it's, you know, we have to focus on the emotional needs of, of right. kids. Like you said before, it's knowing the inner work, yeah. like what's really going on. So the three things parents need, you got to know the device, you got to know the con- the content, what was being made available uh, and knowing uh, your child themselves. And what, what, how much should parents be speaking to their children about this? And I guess just to add like a caveat to that question, how much do they speak to them about it without exposing them too much to things that maybe they don't want to expose them to? You know, I, I don't think it's, it's a conversation. I think, you know, it's creating an environment within your home where technology is like anything else. It's just something we talk about. Like, Uh um, you know, in, in my own home, we do something called going dark for dinner, uh, where there's no technology at the dinner table. So it's just, it's part of the natural ebb and flow of the house. And, and, you know, sometimes say, okay, let's just, Put, everyone put away your technology. Let's just, it, it, it's really creating an environment where it's safe to talk about these things. So if your child is going on a computer, um, you know, generally you want it to be in public places. You want it to, uh, you know, it should be filtered. But then on top of that, the behavior around technology should be one that is not secretive or, right, um, right, right. or it's part of, of the culture within the home. Sure. And so you, you assess where those, so you're saying it's not like a formal conversation, you know, anyway, it's just like we set up our family expectations and the way that we like run our household and it's just like kind of like built in, it's ingrained in it. Yeah. It's part of the culture. I, I, I will say that with my own children, we had formal conversations when it was time for them to get a phone. 
Mm-hmm. So at that point, you know, we went through a, a process. We actually created a contract mm. uh, around the phone. And that was a back and forth dialogue, a discussion, the concerns, talking about, you know, impulsivity and disinhibition. And so like one of the rules, um, uh, one of the rules was, you know, before you send a picture, it has to be approved. You know, I apparently, yeah. oh, nice. And then yeah. once they were able to demonstrate that they were making good decisions around picture sharing, so then okay, so now they can send pictures. They don't have to show me every Got picture. It. So they've like they earn a certain status and like yeah. Um, and socially, you know, uh, the idea of social distraction and and you know things along those lines. And how are you going to talk to them about that? So it it really isn't a you know you better watch out the internet's you know. Uh, I don't recommend that. Right, uh, it's right. really just creating an environment where you can talk about, um, you know, the challenges. And once they understand, by the way, how the miscommunications happen and uh, there's opportunities to discuss perspective taking, once they, they understand that they see it in other people, they can, you know, right. they can be aware not just of their own behavior, but of other people's behavior as well. So, you know, uh, one of my kids came to me and said, oh, my gosh, one of my friends is using such bad language in, in the grade chat. You know, mm. and he was able to identify right, that. Right, right, right. That's right. And you mentioned just now the, the you know, the contract that you do with your children. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's, it's great. I remember hearing about it a couple of years ago when, like, the schools all were, were talking about this. I'm curious, for a parent who doesn't have the, you know, the language or know, you know, what should I be discussing or what should I be putting in that contract? They're not as, you know, well-versed as you are because you, you know, really work in this. Yeah. What, what would you recommend for a parent? So I think a parent needs to be educated where some of the concerns are. Mm-hmm. So intuitively, it's interesting because intuitively parents know, you know, well, parents are using the devices too, usually. Yeah. Right? So they, they, they have enough of an understanding of how these devices work, how these, some of the apps work. I mean, not all of them do they know so, per se, but they have a little bit of an understanding. You know, you know what it really, it's like, um, it's like when your kids start driving. So it starts out that, um, you know, they go for a permit, they take the written test. So you don't have to get the permit uh, for the, the phone, but you're not going to give the, your child a car and say, you know, here, you can drive from, right. you know, from the five towns to Bergen County. Right. This is right. not happening on day one. Sure. So there's a process. It's not a formal conversation. Okay. You know, you have to watch out for this. You have to, but it's, it's interesting you say that because I don't, it, I don't know if like all parents approach it that way. Meaning I don't think parents necessarily will say, I'm going to give you the phone in a, in a permit type way where you can have it in, under in, with, you know, like in a permit, you can't drive with right. friends at that point. You can't, you know, like I don't think that that's necessarily the approach that people, I'm, and I, I don't think it's the approach right. that they're saying. I think it's the approach they should be taking. Right. Right. Um, right. you know, you, you, but what, what would be that permit approach? Meaning what would be the things that a parent should be sharing pictures? Let's start with that. So, you know, in, until they've had the, the chance to demonstrate mastery over making good decisions around it, sure. uh, shutoff times, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there should always be shutoff times and maybe it gets later. Um, but it's, it's starting out. Um, I, I'll give you an example. Um, all my kids started out with no web browser on their phone. Mm. No nice. web browser. If there was something specific content that they needed, there was an app available and I approved the app and they got so you start out with no web browser. Then at some point you say, okay, you're demonstrating responsibility. You're not tethered to your device all the time. Okay, we can give you a web browser, but it's a whitelist browser, only the pre-approved websites. So what ends up happening is they you know, keep coming to you, oh, I need this website, I need that website. And that's fine. Right, right. You go through that process. And then you're, at, you're with them in that process. Yeah, correct. Right. It, you know, and it, it's, it's creating 
uh, a mechanism for the communication. Um, you know, your, their phone shuts off at 10 p.m. Well, I, you know, I'm planning to do homework tonight with a friend. Can I have, can I be on till 10.30? Right. So again, now we're moving into the realm of thoughtful and deliberative and they're demonstrating responsibility. You're giving mm-hmm. them that opportunity. So it's the same thing with the car. It's like, okay, let's, you know, you'll drive me to the grocery store, you know, down the road. And then, okay, you know, tonight you can, you can go, uh, with one friend in the car, right, but you right, can't right. play music in the car. Yeah. No, and then they graduate to being able to go, f- you know, farther and right. have music playing and have two friends in the car. So mm-hmm. it should be a similar process with technology. I'm curious if it's the same thing with like a computer, like a laptop. Like a lot of students, especially when they enter either middle school or high school, will need to get a laptop. So you know, what do you do? The same type of thing is it the same like type of like a permit slash contract type of concept, or or is it not the same? So that's a good question. Um, most of the concern that we have with the, the the behavioral aspects of phone versus a tablet versus a computer are all different. Mm-hmm. Um, so as, as an example, when you want to send an important email, you're not going to send it from your phone. You're going to right. wait till you're sitting yeah, in front of a computer. So there's a problem. Why? Because we are more thoughtful. We are less impulsive uh, with with a laptop than we are with with our phones. Right. Um, and the phone is with us. It's, it's, it's an, ex, for many kids, it's an extension of us. Right, right. So, you know, that gradual piece of it, certainly with a computer as well, if, if the child is demonstrating problematic behavior with a computer, you're going to also set limits as well. So, you know, it, it also becomes part of that conversation. I'm not saying there shouldn't be a conversation. There should be a conversation, but it's not the conversation. Oh, I thought you were saying that you only had a conversation more so like when you gave them a, a device or a phone or the, whatever. The, 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 you're saying that's a part of that. Yeah, the the, the, uh-huh. the the only time I've had formal sit down conversations has been when they were getting their phone. That was their first device, right? Um, you know, I suppose if their first device is something else, you're going to have that conversation there mm-hmm. as well. When it comes to the public and permanent nature of technology, you know, it's about educating them that that's uh, a, a real thing. But it almost comes, you know in talking about, oh, I was looking for a pair of shoes and now I'm being bombarded, you know, left and right with uh-huh. shoes here, shoes there, my social media, I'm getting emails about shoes, et cetera. And it becomes part of that dialogue within the house as well um, to discuss uh, the interactions with technology and how it might be impacting uh, mm-hmm. overall functioning. Got it, yeah, got it. I, I don't want, I, there shouldn't be a, a misunderstanding. You shouldn't have conversations, <laughs> right, right. but it's not like having the conversation about technology and then you move on. It's creating a dynamic within the house where technology is part of the ongoing conversation. Sure, sure. Would you say that there's like a magic number of uh, the the best, the ideal number of like hours of, uh, you know, of screen time that children should have throughout the day or, you know, I guess that's... Yeah, people like the magic number. That, not necessarily yeah. a magic number, but I guess what would be your... What would you say the factors are that go into making the decision of what are the so, appropriate number of hours for each... And you said it might, ch- might change for each child or as they show more and more responsibility. So what are, like, what are the factors that go in there? So the first thing is I think that the term screen time is a misconception. Mm-hmm. You know, we use it. We throw it around a lot. Screen time, all the studies, studies suggest <laughs> screen time this, screen time that. There's no such thing as a, a equal... Uh, equality within screen time. There's different levels of screen time, depending on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So let, let's just, to me, the lowest level of screen time would be consumption, Netflix binging. You know, you're sitting in front of a screen and just watching Netflix all What day. do you mean by the lowest level? Why is that the... It's the least productive. Oh, it's okay, the okay, okay. most... Um, the most 
time wasting. <laughs> it's the, you know, mind numbing, mind numbing. <laughs> There's little benefit to it. Sure. You know, um, um, you know, the next level I would say is complementary. Like even video game play has more benefit than consumption. Mm-hmm. There's actually a lot of research on the difference between watching television and playing video games. Right. And right. no, you said before that yeah. there's like the benefits of, so consumption has none of those benefits. Mm-hmm. There's no visual motor integration <laughs> unless you point the remote. <laughs> playing yeah. Wii, but not yeah. really playing but that's, I guess, a video yeah. game. Yeah. Right? So, uh, you know, um, and then I'll just jump ahead all the way to, uh, to, uh, creative, um, which is, you know, coding, graphic design, video editing, um, you know, that's a much higher level of functioning with a screen. Right. Uh, so how can you compare, you know, binging Netflix to how can you put them in the same category, uh, binging Netflix saying, okay. to the creative process or, you know, online education platforms, you know, right. like they're, com- they're two completely different things. So I, I wouldn't put the same amount of time on the creative process versus the consumption versus the complementary or communication is another piece. If I'm right. if I'm video, but you're, you're saying if, if they're involved in the creative process, then it's a positive thing. So therefore, but even the creative process can be problematic at some point. There's a tipping uh-huh. point for all of this. Right. So how do, so how do we, I guess, how do we best, uh, there's no, so that? there's no magic number, you know, right, no, so not yeah. a magic number. So how do we, how do we look at that and say, okay, for if you're doing, if this is what you're doing, then, you know, this is like a healthy, you know, come to an agreement that this is like a healthy number of time or not necessarily a number of time, but more like this is a healthy, maybe there's not, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there, like, there's nothing wrong with watching a show for a recreational purpose and just, you know, you know, that's okay. You know, just assuming it's not like graphic, violent, whatever. (laughs) Like if a a kid wants to watch an episode of something, again, if it's within your family culture to, it's not the end of the world. It's not, you know, it's like, now the same thing with a video game. Like they want to play a video game. You know, it goes back to any individual child. I, you know, I want to look at the child in their entirety. Mm -hmm. You know, in addiction, we talk about the idea of, um, primary role obligation and addiction is really um, problematic when you're failing to fulfill primary role obligation. So similarly with technology is a child doing well in school? Are they doing their academic work? Do they have a social life? Do they go out with friends and hang? Mm -hmm. So if he plays video games for 30 minutes, I'm a lot less concerned about them than the the child who plays for 15 minutes and is not doing well in school and is, is failing to fill, right, fill their right, primary right, role. Right. So it's not, it's, it's knowing each individual child and their relationship. Parents know some of their kids, like they throw tantrums and, you know, have really hard time not being on technology and a little bit we're we're creating a high degree of dependence for our kids on technology. We, we tend to talk about technology, about teens and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but I worry about early childhood kids, ages, you know, one to five. Yeah. Um, it used to be when, a parent would take a child to the doctor and the, do- the doctor would get like a, a shot. You know, they would pick their child up. They would rub their back. They mm-hmm. feel better. What's the child learning in that situation? They're learning that my parent can comfort me, support me. Right. It's right. a positive experience. What do uh, some parents do today? Child's crying. Video here's a, here's a phone. Right. And what is the child learning at two years old? They're learning that when I'm in pain, when I'm distressed, when I'm wow. unhappy, uh, the phone makes me feel better. Hmm. So you're creating a much higher degree of dependence even at that age. Wow. Wow. So, wow. That's powerful. That's very Yeah. Powerful. I worry about, you know, I do some of these early childhood lectures. People are like early childhood with technology. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, um, wow. yeah, that's very fascinating. How many parents will put an iPad in their one and a half year old's crib just to keep them occupied? So, you know, yeah, 
sad. Yeah. It's very sad. Huh. I, I remember um, a bunch of years ago, it was pre-internet. Um, I guess the internet existed, but people, the pre-smartphone for sure. <laughs> we were with a family on a ski trip and um, they took, they had a pack and play. They put their two-year-old in the pack and play, put the, put the pack and play in front of a TV put in a bag of cookies in the, oh in the bag of And, you know, that was... Yeah, 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 so yeah. the modern version of that is putting an iPad in the yeah. crib. So it's not like this wasn't going on when there used to be television, but the portability of it and the, you know, every kid at a restaurant on a device, every kid in a stroller on a device, every kid at the doctor on a device, we're really creating high levels of dependence. And then right. we're, you know, we're frustrated when they won't put the device down. Well, you know, a lot of times we're using it. So what if, what if that... What if that dependency now exists? What can parents do to kind of, I don't know if the right word is wean them off of it or, you know, set up now more, more healthy. Like they've realized, oh no, I like, as I'm listening, I'm, you know, I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, oh yeah, I've done that a little bit. Yeah. Now what? Sorry, Should, it's too it, late. <laughs> <laughs> like, is there, what, what type of intervention can one do to kind of now set up a more of a healthy boundary and give their child the tools that they need to have more, you know, safety with, with technology? So one of the only ways that you can really, limit kids technology use in, in, in a meaningful way where it's not just you're taking something away from them is mm-hmm. just to replace it. Um, okay. and that means parents spending more time with their kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means taking your kids to the park, going out, throwing the ball around, going to the mall together, doing things that, um, that it, it's hard. Uh, you know, if you have two working parents and, uh, a busy lifestyle, but Really, it requires that level of engagement of supporting your kids' interests, um, you know, uh, whether it's uh, piano lessons or gymnastics or sports activities or right. whatever it might be. You really you need to invest in that at a higher level than you might uh, you might have otherwise. Right. Right, 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 right. So that, 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 you know, it's great when kids are into reading, that's good. When kids are into sports, that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, other finding those areas of interest and being supportive of it that are non digital. Um, so that's, that's really the direction that you need to go in with your kids spending more parental, you know, time. Well, would you say that there's any things that parents don't know about this area that they should know more about, whether it could be, you know, things that they don't even know to ask or things that they don't know about, you know, dangers or safety, you know, any, any, any things in general that you would say, like, it's like h- even because yeah. parents know a lot of it about it yeah. because they use the devices, but things that they just like, still like, wow, I didn't realize that. Like, it's a hard question for me to answer. I'm, I'm, you know, every once in a while I hear something that surprises me that like, well, what would be something that surprises you? Um, I was recently doing uh, programming for a, a school community and one of the parents was, they didn't buy into any aspect that digital technology had any negative impact hmm. on children's functioning. How? They just, they just did not buy into it. I, okay. I, I was like, okay. And I like, Interesting. um, you know, um, not too long ago I was talking with, uh, some parents about, um, Know, depression and leading to ne- negative relationships with technology. And um, I, I talked about the idea that the heritability of depression, and that there's biological predisposition based on family history. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, I, I mean, it was like olive bays. Yeah. And that was a chiddish to them. Right. I, you know, and that's so interesting. Yeah. So it was, you know, every once in a while, I'm surprised. Uh, it's a great question. I, I don't know if there's something specific. I, I think intuitively, I find more often than not when I speak and I speak to parents, 
I'm more providing them language for something that they intuitively were experiencing but couldn't articulate uh-huh. and giving them that language to articulate something that is, I think, the most important piece of it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. You have any any final message to share with uh, parents about child safety, specifically in this realm of uh, digital safety? I, you know, I think the biggest challenge parents face today is digital technology. I don't think there's a, a greater challenge because whatever the other challenges might be are exacerbated by digital technology. Right. So, you know, um, it, it, and it's exhausting. It, you know, it's exhausting to stay on top of the You got to keep up with it. It's yeah. crazy. So, you know, it, I, I think that's the final message is that recognize that it's it's an exhausting proposition, but you as parents really do make the difference. Right. Um, Being proactive about it, having the yeah. conversations, building it into your culture of your home and really how you how you really how you model it i think you said before yeah. also is very important and then how you how you really you know what messaging you put around technology we want to inculcate values around technology and for that our kids need to know about it which means we need to talk about it mm-hmm. um, not necessarily in these formal stiff you know <laughs> uh, you know conversations but just as part of the ongoing dialogue with you know with uh, with, with our kids you know there's a a statistic i, I I don't know if it's real because um, I haven't seen it anywhere, but um, they say that, um, you know, 60% of parents are concerned about their children's technology habits, but 80% of kids are concerned about their parents' technology habits. Interesting. Wow. So, you know, that, that's part of it. The kids are aware and, you know, it, you know, kids will say, oh, my parents are just as addicted as I am. (laughs) So it's really creating that space, creating the opportunity, separating from technology, being thoughtful and deliberative about it. Um, but what's interesting is when you say yeah. that, cause kids might say, yeah, my parents are more, are just as addicted or even more addicted than I am. But kids don't necessarily know that their parents are being more responsible on the internet and they don't necessarily see that modeling. Cause it's, how would they, yeah, I mean, they don't, no, they don't see that the way that their parents are interacting with it. So it's like hard to, that's a great point. And you know, thanks for bringing that up because I talk about transparency a lot. Um, you know, it's okay if you as a parent need to respond to an email, like you have clients, you have a boss, you have, you know, colleagues, you can be transparent say, you know what, I have an email, an important email I need to respond to, and then I'm all yours. Right. So be that way. Show your kids, you know, show your kids that during dinner time, there's no showing them. I'm not trying to be like addicted right now. It's not that I am addicted. It's that I I have this responsibility and I need to take care of this and then be transparent about it. Right. That's Um, a good point. Do going dark for dinner. You know, we, we, um, we would, uh, we have family in Toronto. So we would drive, uh, often from, you know, the five towns to Toronto. And, uh, we had a rule in the car that until we were out of New York city, no videos or anything like that. Mm, nice. Now it's a, you know, an eight, nine hour drive and right. it, it takes, you know, between an hour and two hours <laughs> leave New York city. So clearly it wasn't going to be that impactful that they yeah, weren't meant for those two hours it, that you were, you were demonstrating something. You were yeah. sharing a value that we don't sit on screens all the time. Mm. And I think that that is something that parents can do more of and, and communicate with their children and, and create that open dialogue of conversation of, uh, you know, technology is awesome. It's amazing. This wonderful opportunity that it presents the world we live in. Um, but it's not, it's not, it shouldn't be the world we live in. Right. Technology isn't that world. Right. Um, so That's I think great. That, I love it. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much. Thank really you. so much insight here and so much wisdom and, uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thanks so much again for joining us for another episode of raising the Jews next door. This episode about technology was so, it's so relevant. You know, technology is something that our children are experiencing on, on an everyday basis. 
um, whether it's, you know, at home that they're seeing device usage or have their own devices, or if they're in school with, you know, computers for school use. And, but they, they are, it's, con- it's, it's around them all. And really learning from Dr. Dr. Shapiro what the proper usage is and, and how to prepare our children and how to best manage that is, is really amazing. And, and the idea that we can't give our children a device without first knowing the device well and knowing how to manage it and knowing what type of content our children are going to be looking at. We need to teach our children to make good choices. And that's especially true with technology because what they see and what they experience on technology can be really damaging. You know, when, when the when the research came out about the Instagram files, about what they were doing and, and intentionally to our children, it's, it, it's, it's sad and it's scary and we have to, we have to be proactive about it. And uh, I hope that you find that this episode a great resource to provide you with the ability to be proactive about it. I would love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear any of your thoughts on genoff.org. Check us out there. Hit us up with some comments, feedback, send us any questions on the parenting hotline or reach out to us on Instagram at Parenting the Jews Next Door, Twitter at Your Manchel. And looking forward to another great episode next week on the concept of domestic abuse with Yeshaya Kraus, who's the director of education for Shalom Task Force. And it's really another amazing, really full of full of so much great insights. Another great episode. And uh, looking forward to Parenting the Jews Next Door together. <laughs>